This podcast contains explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Creepy Cannabis Podcast, where we chat all things creepy, cannabis, true crime, paranormal, and weird. I'm Madeline. I'm Rachel. And, um, hi. Uh, hello. Look at my lighter again. I'm just as happy. I rolled a flower joint. Wait, I know that you're on video too, but I want to show in my camera how fat this bitch is. <laughs> Look at this thick bitch. Hold on, for reference. We're going to do a girth measurement. <laughs> Look at the fucking girth compared to my lighter. Touche. Listen, all I'm saying is in some cases size matters. Um, what's in there? So today, the strain is called Funky Charms. Um, funky Charms? Like mm-hmm. Lucky Charms? Mm-hmm. But funky. Okay, okay. Um... It's a pretty evenly balanced hybrid. It is a cross between the strains Grease Monkey and Rainbow Chip. Um, I think I made an ugly face noise at the sound of Rainbow Chip. Thing, but uh, this one is 30%. THC. Oh, shit. So, okay. <clears throat> of course, it is um, gives you a soothing physical relaxation. Um, but it can be also very stimulating. Um, but yeah, it could be, it's, it could be stimulating, but it's more than likely going to sedate you. So that's great. Oh, you have an episode together. Yeah, it's fine. Um, it says the effects are usually around, or the THC percent is usually 22 to 24. And like I said, this is 30. Um, so there's that, but it is pretty evenly balanced it has more limonene than it does myrcene myrcene is sedating limonene is like energizing and up- uplifting so um pretty even balance and it is good for insomnia chronic pain depression mood swings or chronic fatigue i probably have like once every three months where i get a re- actual like real insomnia and i can't sleep for like three days I used to have real insomnia every night of my life until I started smoking weed. It was like I would be so tired and I would come lay in bed and just stare at the ceiling until 5 a.m. And then I could usually sleep from like 5 to like 7. And then I was, you have to open the, you have to open the lid. Oh. <laughs> scary. You know what? Just have this back. Just give it's me fun. that. <laughs> um, it's just, ah, I just burned the whole side of the joint because it's terrifying. I hate everything that's happening in this <laughs> Oh, by the way, I looked it up. In conclusion, Twitch and YouTube allow the cultivation and consumption of cannabis to be depicted on their platforms from places where it is legal to do so. Still, they have flagged and demonetized streamers if they didn't like what they were seeing. Like, maybe you, like, fucking demolishing this joint won't pass the vibe check, but otherwise. We shall see. But it is legal. We have cards. It is. It's about to be recreational. (laughs) 
Um, okay. Sorry, is that, do you have more about the strain? No. Okay. I have a person that did not actually ask me to do this, and I want to be very clear again that I don't know that they're 420 friendly. I don't know that they are. So we're not presuming that just because I like something or shout it out that, you know, they align with our vibe. But I don't know. For those of you who don't know and probably don't care, I love Fortnite. I'm a huge Fortnite fan. My husband and I play together. We play with our um, a couple friend of ours. And I'm like, I've gotten pretty good at it over, like, the months I've been playing. So I started watching, like, streaming on TikTok. And I'm one of those people who feels like we all want a little validation, right? Mm -hmm. And this streamer in particular, he'll be streaming on TikTok and also have Twitch. And he responds to every single person. You send him a gift. You send a comment. He comments on everyone. And for me, like, looking at it as a business because he's a full-time streamer, like, that's a really good business practice. And um, so, yeah, I've learned a lot from his channel and actually really utilize it. So I was like, I'm going to give him a little shout-out on the podcast he has far more followers than we have. Mm-hmm. It ain't like that. But it's just a different platform. So his name is Ruthless Cat. R-U-F-L-E-S-S, I believe. It might be one S. You're Cat. looking at me like I have any idea. C-A-T. But anyway, <laughs> Ruthless Cat. And so if you like TikTok, you like streaming, or you have a Twitch, or maybe you're one of like our followers who's into games or happens to like Fortnite – you should give him a follow because I find his lives on TikTok to be really fun and really interesting. And I just wanted to share that because I know that we're a very, very, very small podcast and, you know, having people enjoy our content makes us so happy every time we hear it. And Mm -hmm. I think that when people do a good job, they deserve to be celebrated. So that's all. Good day. I'm going to go now. I'm not going to save the episode. Um, so... Dosey dough do be smacking. I just smoked the dosey dough that Maddie had in the last in my one episode, and girl, I'm over here like (laughs) we're surviving. Okay. Oh shit. Fuck. My contour is really muddy right here. That's fine. All right. So today we are discussing the story of the boy in the box. What's in the box? Mm, Just kidding. That's not Too it. soon. <laughs> um, so this case uh, gained notoriety over the years um, because who is this boy? How did he get there into this box? <laughs> it's the questions we all have. <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> We're just uncomfortable. <laughs> it's the questions we all have. Um, who is he? How did he arrive to this box? <laughs> From whence has he cometh? <laughs> To this location. Okay. I think I need one more puff. Together, yes. On February 25th, 1957, a young man was checking his muskrat traps in the woods off Sesquare. What the fuck is a muskrat? (laughs) Like, what is a muskrat? Because that's what you do in 1957. I don't know. Um, Okay. When he played... Excuse me. (coughs) Off this road in Philadelphia, when he discovered the body of a young boy wrapped in a plaid blanket in a box. Um, He did not call the police. Um, I assume because he didn't want to be found out. Maybe because he wasn't supposed to be hunting. Maybe because 
who the fuck knows? And he panicked. I mean, the muskrats are Was muskrats for fur? Maybe they were one of the animals that got hunted for their fur. That would be like unclear for the pond, right? Unclear. Research was not done prior. Uh, to be determined, never. <laughs> you can Google it. <laughs> you won't find anything. <laughs> um. A few days later, a college students saw a rabbit running toward the area, and somehow they knew of these animal traps, <laughs> and he stopped to investigate. Um, anyway, he stumbled onto the body as well, and also failed to report it, because apparently everyone's just finding this body and failing to report it to the police. Correct. Um, the next day, the news got out about the disappearance of a woman named Mary Jane Barker, and it compelled him to go forward to the police, apparently. Apparently. He went to the authorities. <laughs> Guys, I don't know if you know this, but um, we're gifted singers. <laughs> oh, Selena. No. no. Um, at the scene, it was confirmed that the body was a young male who had been severely malnourished, had multiple surgical and other scars, and had recently had his hair cropped. Um, possibly after his death. It's unknown, I guess. Um, the main scars were said to be on his ankle, groin, and under his chin. Um, and I guess there was also a bassinet inside the box that was from JCPenney. Very specific. Did they have the receipt in there too? How did they know that? I feel like, actually, I feel like I remember hearing about that. So it was a very, back then things were things weren't like mass produced to the same degree in the same capacity so mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure it was tracked i see i feel like i do remember hearing that. i'm not sure how that has any relevancy to the case but um they tracked it well <laughs> because i guess then they could maybe they were thinking they could use it to try to figure out who he was at the time if they knew who bought it i feel like it would use cash i don't want to drop mad facts but there's a chance. So you're telling me there's a chance. Fair enough. Um, police received the report and opened an investigation on February 26, 1957. Uh, his fingerprints were taken. The police at first were optimistic that he would be identified. However, no one came forward with any useful information. And I guess the fingerprints didn't match, obviously. It's so <clears> weird <throat> to me to have like a child go missing and no one come forward like that. Yeah, so the case attracted... A lot of media attention in Philadelphia um, and the Delaware Valley. The Philadelphia Inquirer printed 400,000 flyers with a likeness of the kid, and they were sent out and posted across the area, and they included, oh, and included with every gas bill in the, in the city, so. They were like, with your bill, look at the picture of this kid, please? Yeah. What a weird time. Mm-mm. The crime scene was uh, gone over and over again by apparently 270 police academy recruits who discovered a man's blue corduroy cap, a child's scarf, and a man's white handkerchief with the letter G in the corner. Corner of what? I don't know. The handkerchief. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I love it here. (laughs) I love it here. Okay. It's like the TikTok was like, <laughs> I put it in the microwave, in the little glass dish on the microwave. <laughs> Where? In the microwave! 
<laughs> I don't think we've been affected okay. by the cannabis. Understood. Anyway, moving on. Um, none of these clues <laughs> led anywhere helpful. Um, the police... Because they didn't look in the microwave. <laughs> because they didn't look in the right corner. Okay. I'm ready. I'm okay. ready. The police also distributed a post-mortem photograph of the, the boy. It's Great. really disturbing, by the way. Please don't look that up. That's lovely. I didn't... I wasn't ready. Oh, my God. They fully dressed the body and put him in a seated position. No, he's got his eyes open and everything. No. Like, he's like a little dead body. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I saw it with my own eyes. Don't do it. Don't look. Don't do it. Okay. Um, in 1998, his body was exhumed for the purpose of extracting DNA, which was obtained from one of his teeth. Um, on March 21st, 2016, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children released a forensic facial reconstruction of the victim and added him to their database. I also don't understand why that was necessary when you can low-key just Google the pictures of his actual face. Yeah. Whatever. The body was then exhumed yet again in 2019 to retrieve additional DNA samples. Um, <clears throat> the child was an unidentified murder victim for decades. However, on November 30th, 2022, the Philadelphia Police Department announced that they had identified the child through the use of genetic testing and investigative genetic genealogy and that they would provide a case update the following week. Sources stated that the child, that he was the child of a prominent family in Delaware County, Pennsylvania. Um, and authorities said that the investigation will now use this information to continue to search for suspects. <clears throat> um, on December 8th, 2022, the child was publicly identified as four-year-old four Joseph Augustus Zarelli, who was born on January 13th, 1953. Um, oh, he was a little January Capricorn. Yeah. On January 19th, 2023, the names of the parents were reported. Investigators were finally able to identify him after a cousin uploaded DNA into a public database. Um, investigators subsequently encouraged that person's mother to submit a genetic profile, which she did, allowing investigators <coughs> to identify his parents. It's so crazy. That's 23 and me and Ancestry. They are taking bitches out. Yeah. Left, left and right. right. Hey, listen, you might have thought you murdered somebody in secret, but it's about to come too late. Not anymore. Um, the court order for the child's birth certificate was then made, which revealed that his, which revealed his name and his parents' name and verified the DNA. So, a couple of theories. One concerns a foster home that was located like 1.5 miles from the site of the body. In 1960, Remington Bristow, an employee of the medical examiner's office, um, who pursued the case until his death, apparently in 1993, um, contacted a New Jersey psychic who told him to look for a house that matched the foster home. When the psychic was brought to the Philadelphia Discovery site, she led him directly to this foster home, apparently. I mean, she could have probably looked at a map, but who's Facts. to say? <laughs> I mean, if I was psychic, no offense, but solving murders would be way after becoming rich. I mean, yeah, it was so. real. <clears throat> okay. So after they um, find this foster home... 
they discovered a bassinet similar to the one that was sold at JCPenney, and he also discovered blankets hanging on the clothesline that were similar to the one in which the boy's body had been wrapped when they discovered him. So, they believed that the boy belonged to the stepdaughter of the man who ran the foster home, that they disposed of his body so the stepdaughter would not be exposed as an unwed mother. Oh, no. Okay. Well, he was pretty old for that. We also know that's not it because, obviously, now they know that who his parents are. Yeah. But that, is a, that actually is, like, a pretty, like, in the moment, I would have felt like that was, like, a viable possibility. If it was a baby, who's killing, like, a older child for fear well, of being discovered as an unwed mother? When they're old enough to talk and start saying that you're their mother. Mm, no. I don't know. I don't know. Just my thoughts. Anyway, the police had established that all the foster children were accounted for and a re-excavation, oh, excuse me, re-examination by police investigators confirmed that the family was not involved. <clears throat> In 1998, Police Lieutenant Tom Augustine, who was in charge of the investigation, and several members of the Vidoc Society. Oh, oh yeah. Was it like one of those, all those letters? Mm-hmm. It's just not really a word, but yeah. <laughs> um, so those people interviewed <laughs> foster father and stepdaughter, um, and after that, the investigation was closed. Fair enough. I mean, we all saw that coming. Then, there was a woman known as Martha or M. Another theory, I guess, that people started talking about in February of 2002 was about a woman who identified only as Martha, who stated her parents bought the boy and murdered him. Okay. Authorities considered her story plausible, but were troubled by her testimony as she had had a history of mental illness... She stated her mother and father purchased Joseph from his birth parents in the summer of 1954, after which he was subjected to physical, sexual, and psychological abuse. <clears throat> authorities I mean, that tracks with his condition. Authorities were unable to verify this story, obviously, and neighbors who had access to her house during the time period denied <coughs> that there had ever been a young boy living there. Well, I don't think your torture victims on display when your friends come over, but... Certainly not. I feel like so far, though, that definitely holds some weight with how he looked and how sick he was. And, but, like, why would a rich person need to sell their kid at the same time? I don't know. You're already prominent and wealthy. But whatever. It's so weird. Or it could be, like, they sold to, like, they paid for discretion because they wanted to be done with this kid or whatever. Maybe. I guess. I don't really know. Disturbing. I mean, I'm not a detective, so. Nor am Unless I. you hurt my friend, and then I will find you. <laughs> um, forensic artist Frank Bender developed a theory that the victim may have been raised as a girl. The child's unprofessional haircut, which appeared to have been performed in haste, was the basis for this scenario, as well as the appearance of the eyebrows being styled. Okay. I do remember hearing that Vague. he had long hair, like, mm. like on his body. And it does kind of beg the question, you're not ashamed of the fact that he's physically, like, beaten up. Why do you care to shave his hair? So, I mean, I don't think it's that whole thing, but, like, yeah. that is an interesting hmm. thing. <clears throat> 
in 2016, two writers, one from Los Angeles and another from New Jersey, believed that they discovered a potential identity from Memphis, Tennessee, and requested that the DNA be compared to the family members and the child. The lead was originally discovered by a Philadelphia man who was developed and presented with the help of Hoffman to the police department in early 2013. Um, During this time, he became aware of the lead and agreed to help the man from Philadelphia and Hoffman to obtain the DNA from this particular family member in January 2014, which was sent quickly to the Philadelphia Police Department. Local authorities confirmed that they would investigate the lead, but they said that they would need to do more research on the circumstances surrounding the link before comparing the DNA. Of course. Um, (laughs) Shocker. In December 2017, they confirmed that the, that the DNA taken from the Memphis man was compared <clears throat> to the child, but there was no connection. So, there's really never been any actual leads <laughs> that are backed up by any sort of research or evidence. I mean, this is tough, too, because the, D- the ancestry is in identifying the person, but it's no DNA from the perpetrator. So, more than likely, it was probably the fact that I guess this girl's parents bought him and probably kept him chained in the basement at that point. I do feel like that's a very plausible. I, I'm definitely leaning towards the... And honestly, if you think about it, the two theories could be connected. It could be, like, part of the torture was dressing him, maybe not as a female, but just, like, dressing him, doing things to him. Like, you don't know. People are fucking twisted. That's very true. Poor baby. Um... So, he was originally buried in a potter's field. In 1998, he was reburied at Ivy Hill Cemetery in Cedarbrook, Philadelphia, um, which had donated a large plot for him to be buried in. The coffin, headstone, and funeral service were donated by the son of the man who buried the boy in 1957, and there was a significant public attendance and media coverage at this reburial. It's really um, sweet to know that, like, somebody was at least taking care of his body and his arrangements and mm, stuff. Yeah. Like, an individual, you know, that cared. Mm-hmm. When it first was installed, it said America's Unknown Child, and then um, a new memorial cont- <coughs> containing his full name and image was unveiled what, on what would have been his 70th birthday, along with the addition of his name to the existing headstone. That's so crazy, like, hearing what would have been his 70th birthday. Because I definitely yeah. remember, like, a lot of shows that I watched, like, crime shows and stuff growing up. There's been a lot of reference to this case. Yeah. Um, so it's like, I had heard of it well before we even ever started the podcast or before True Crime Podcast even became a thing. Like, I've known about this story since... Hmm. I, I, I probably saw, like, a cold case episode on it, like, when I was a kid. Interesting. I've never heard of it before. Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's been around, but my mom was kind of into true crime and stuff, too. So we did watch a lot of, like, those cold cases and, like, shit that I should have been watching for a a little guy. I mean, fair enough. So, excuse me. At a December 2022 press conference, the Philadelphia Police Commissioner stated that Joseph's death is still an active homicide investigation and that they need the public's help. I mean. Facts. I feel like everyone's dead now, but yeah. Yeah, I don't have much hope that we're ever going to figure out what happened to him. 
And if they, you know, they don't have any DNA evidence of the person who did it to him from what I've heard, so. Law enforcement reported at the same conference that both of Joseph's biological parents are deceased, but the child has living half-siblings. At the same press conference, um, Philadelphia law enforcement stated that Joseph had lived in the area of 61st and Market Street. Um, Quote, I don't know what the neighbors knew or didn't know, said the head of the Philadelphia Police Homicide Unit. Um, The child, quote, the child did live past the age of four years old, so there would have been somebody out there that would have seen him, perhaps another family member that hasn't stepped forward, possibly a neighbor that remembers seeing the child and remembers what was occurring at that particular household. So they're kind of hoping that somebody just recalls and comes forward. But honestly, my thing is they already released what the kid looked like. So if they were going to come forward, they've had a long fucking time to do so. Yeah. So... But yeah, in January 2023, the Philadelphia Inquirer reported that um, Joseph's biological parents um, were Augustus Zarelli and Mary Elizabeth Plunkett, also known as Betsy. I love how back in the day, everybody just made up their own name they wanted. Yeah. They got what they were born with and they were like, Mm-mm, my name is Betsy. Yeah. I feel that. I mean, that's just the same. <laughs> I mean, it's always sad, but for me... Knowing who somebody is is really important to me. Mm-hmm. That was really important even, like, with my fertility stuff. Like, I just, I have to associate individuals with, like, their traits. You know, and he's a person. And mm-hmm. it always makes me sad. Like, same thing with the Lady of the Dunes that we covered. It just feels good to know. Because at least then you can, you can like, refer to them by name. You can know when you're thinking of that person or maybe visiting those sites or whatever. It's a person. Mm-hmm. And he was just a baby. Yeah. Also... I, like, you know, I already felt this way, but since my goddaughter's been born, like, I cannot comprehend harming a child. Now, trust me, sometimes I want to split that fucking diaper. <laughs> I won't. But I tell her all the time, I'm like, well, catch these hands right in that diaper. Mm. She started talking back, y'all. And the other day, I wouldn't let her have a sip of soda because she's one. And she was freaking out. <laughs> and I went to take something from her and she snatched it and said, no. I said, bitch, you just learn how to say that word. I'll fucking end you. I'll end you. And then she was laughing at me. She, I try to threaten her. She laughs in my face. She laughs in my face. Yeah. She's so cute. I tell my husband all the time, we're like, if we ever have a kid via surrogate, like, we just couldn't. Our kid won't be as cute. She's the cutest fucking baby. And, like, my husband and I, we know what we look like. Our kid ain't going to be that cute. Okay. Our kid ain't going to be that cute. Our kid's probably going to, like, be allergic to existing in the sun and shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, every animal we've ever had is, like, no. allergic to, like, tap water. It's going to be my kid. Um, that's oh, all I have word. to say on that. Um, yeah. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs>